Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, everyone. My name is Ryan Mara Evans, and I'm a student intern with the Yale Sustainable Food Program. Joining me in the studio today is author and economically successful market gardener Jean-Martin Fortier. His work and book, The Market Gardener, a handbook for successful small-scale organic farming, outline the practical steps necessary for growers to grow profitably and productively with little capital and little land. Welcome, Jean-Martin. Hey, happy to be here. <laughs> so to, to start off, I'd, I'd like for you to, to paint a picture of your farm. How large is it? Where is it situated? What are you growing? How is it organized? All right. Well, uh, my farm is a micro farm. So it's about the size of a soccer field. It's an acre and a half in permanent raised bed. And we can talk later on about what these are. And um, it's part of a, a bigger, you know, that's just a, the place where we farm. The, the, the actual site is 10 acre and it's a seven, eight, eight acre woodlot and has a two acre prairie in the middle of which we had to design the farm so that we can grow vegetables to sustain two salaries. And my wife and I have been growing there for since 2004. And it used to be the, the, the farm used to be a rabbit farm. So there's a big building, which is a 40 by 100 rabbit coop in the middle of all these gardens. And we've transformed that place into what is our home now and the warehouse where we process and wash the vegetables. So it's a uh, it's a really it's a micro farm, and uh, we've we've been growing organically on it since uh, two thousand and four. Great. So could you tell me a little bit more about your your process of farming? What differentiates your farm from more traditional forms of like agricultural practice? Uh, exploring the ideas of like biointensive farming or biodynamic yeah. farming. Um, I know spacing is a really big thing. Yeah, that pops back and forth like in your book. Yeah. Well, I guess. With our farm, the story goes that we had a big land constraint. Because we only had two acres, we really had to develop a, f a cropping system where we maximized the yield on the farm. So the first thing that we had to do was to kind of leave out the tractor. Because tractors, they take up a lot of space just, just for it to turn at the end of the row. It just it eat up, it eats up space. So we left out the tractor. And we had, we had uh, before we started the farm, we had visited farms in different areas, but, but also in Cuba. And in Cuba, which was really great back then, is that they didn't have any fossil fuel on the island for a, the longest time. When, when Russia fell apart, these guys didn't have any tractor parts anymore or fuel to put in their tractor. So they, they had to reinvent their agriculture for it to be tractor-free. And they come up with these permanent beds which are called organoponicos, which are permanent raised beds of, of um, highly concentrated crops that are spaced close to one another. And when we went there, we visited farms that were acres and acres and acres of these permanent beds, and there was a lot of production. So when we came back to you know, our a new site, we, we decided to take that route. And um, we, we, you know, when, when you're working on permanent bed, Beds. The thing is that you don't need to be plowing, disking, hilling, shaping soil every year, which you would do with a tractor, because the beds are there and you just cultivate the surface. And so that was kind of the start of our cropping system. And then it got to be this idea of making it really biologically intensive. So it's intensive because you're spacing the crops really close to one another. 
So you're maximizing yields, but by doing so, you're also creating this canopy because the leaves of the crops, they touch one another really rapidly and that shades out the weeds, it retains moisture and it just, it helps the microbiology inside the soil thrive more. But you need to have soil that is really fertile, loose and really active. So to get that high yield and, and these close spacings, there's careful attention that needs to be given to the soil. And that's why we call it biologically intensive cropping system or biointensive is a short for that, that understanding. And so our farm is really based on that model. And, and besides what we had seen in Cuba, we really had never seen that before elsewhere. We had read a lot of, uh, of, of gardening books about that, books coming from, from California. And I guess we took some of these ideas and we just brought them to a commercial scale, trying to make a living growing crops in that way. And so that's our, what, what our farm is all about. So one thing, I know there's a lot of urban gardening that's going on across New Haven that also kind of employs using raised beds. And one thing that's necessary, I think, is adding like soil or adding compost to those raised beds in order to maintain like soil vitality or build soil vitality. Could you share a little bit more about what role compost plays on your micro farm? Where do you get it from? How much are you using per year? Uh, and so on. Yeah, compost is is the most important um, input that we have on our farm. And because compost, what it does, it it does two things. You by adding compost to your soil, you add organic matter, which is what all these you know earthworms and microbes and spiders. It's what they feed on, and then they mineralize it and they transform that into nutrients that can be taken up by the plant. So it, it plays that part, but it also plays the part of feeding nutrients rather directly because compost is already rich in all, in all these nutrients because it's already kind of pre-digested by other microbial life. So you're, you're kind of importing into your soil life, organic matter, and fertility, which is really the three bases of what you need to have you know, quality-grown crops. And so, um, you you know we use on our farm, we use about forty tons a year of compost, which is a lot. And we don't have a tractor, so we don't have you know a loader to to make the compost heap and to turn it two or three times a week. So we ever since we started, we 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 buy our compost from people that we know that are really making you know excellent quality compost, and they deliver it to our farm hot in the in the spring. So we just we put hot compost into our cold bed so that speeds up the warmth, the warming process in the spring. And, you know, that's that's the part where we're really market gardeners. You know, we're not gardeners and we're not farmers in a way that we're heavy mechanized. I guess our thing on our farm is we've tried to find the better solutions to make our line of work efficient, productive. And, you know, buying buying our compost was, was an, one answer to the constraint problem that we have on the farm. So how do you balance kind of high productivity, high yields with being ecologically responsible? Does that factor into how you manage your farm, how you structure your farm, how you build local ecosystems back up? Yeah, it really does. And that's really the wave of the future because when I, gra- I graduated from McGill University in Montreal and we had, I had studied environmental science for three years. 
And the only thing I kind of remember of that part of my life is that we had studied ecological services. We had studied how sometimes, but you know, you can replace industrial process by biological ones that are cost-free. You just need to understand the patterns and the ecology of it all and to try to harness that power. And with regards to vegetable production, you know, a good example of that is earthworms. Earthworms are so amazing because night and day, they go back and forth. You know, they come up, they come down, and they just prospect the soil. They just make it loose by their action, and then they chew on the organic matter, and what they poop is the hummus and the soil-building foundation of, 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 of the soil. And so by, by replacing, on our farm what we've done is we've replaced mechanical tillage by biological tillage, making sure that we understand what earthworms need to, 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 to thrive. And, and we've applied, you know, all of our cropping system is geared towards making them happy so that they can do the work for us. So this is what I think applied ecology is all about. And, and we're trying to learn from, from nature and we're trying to harness it to, to make our work, you know, more effective and more productive. And, and that's, you know, the earthworms. I'm so amazed that conventional farming doesn't take into account the role of earthworms because it's silly. They're there and if you just don't put chemical pesticides on them and if you, if you stop plowing, and they, they can really do the work. They make you black gold. Black yeah, black gold. gold. And it's just, I think that's where our human intelligence needs to go now. You know, we're, instead of trying to neglect uh, all the, you know, the downsides of modern life, I think we can use all of our applied science and applied knowledge to how we can create positive feedback loops with nature and, you know, I'm a big fan of permaculture, and that's what permaculture teaches us. And, and you can bring all of these teachings back to farming. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud and happy to be part of that movement. Another knowledge base that I think you and other small farmers use to great effect is, is business savvy, right? Like getting community buy-in to establish alternative economies to support local production. Uh, so talking about CSAs, community-supported agriculture, direct selling to restaurants or direct selling to local warehouses. Uh, could you talk a little bit first about how you went about getting people to buy into your vision of a farm, your vision of like a market garden. And then two, how those relate to kind of creating entirely new food economies. Yeah, that's a great question. And that's really the heart of the matter here. And I guess when we were started, we started out farming. We, we didn't know we wanted to be farmers. You know, we just wanted to make a positive contribution and we wanted to play outside. And I guess our first... Um, immersion in, in the farming world was in, in, in New Mexico and in Santa Fe. They had just an amazing farmer's market there. About 30 growers were bringing their produce every Saturday morning and people were lining up to buy from this grower because they appreciated the craftsmanship. And um, so that was our first encounter and we thought, man, this is good stuff. And when we came back to Quebec, we tried to recreate some of that and we were fortunate because in Quebec, there there wasn't a lot of farmers market, but there the CSA movement was pretty strong, 
And a grower just was stopping and he gave us, we started with 15 member CSA. So we started with 15 families. We lived in a teepee for that, that first season. And we were just, you know, we were gardening. With, with, my, I remember my wife would put the, the seeds by hand. And the next year we went 30 and then we went to 50 CSA and uh, 80 and then we went to 100 and 150. But it was so great because CSA, what it does is that it, as a grower, it allows me to have the cash up front at the start of the season, which is really helpful for us. But it also binds us to these people that are not customers, you know, they're partners. And we've just created relationship with all these families. And these relationships have been really my clientele. And um, we've been growing ever since, but we've kept this, these families with us and we're their family farmers. And so we have this relationship. We meet them every week. They thank us for our work. And I think this kind of renewal in, in farmers and consumers, or we can call them eaters, just linking up together is is core to what's happening in the food the food movement now. It's not about buying organic. It's about meeting the grower. It's about understanding where your food comes from and it's about, you know, it's about producing food with care by people who care and linking into that. And the best part about it is that when people are excited about that, it creates demand for local production. And that's how we can have we can multiply the number of smaller farms to meet that demand. And so that's my whole vision about where we're going is that we're not trying to replace mass production by big farms. We're trying to get production by the masses. And that's why my book is tailored to small scale organic farming, starting a, a small farm and learning the skill and building your clientele and and just starting you know having more people start farms which is what this movement needs above all a big part of the equation of of starting farms i think is kind of gaining access to to land especially if you're a young farmer coming from like a non-farm background or you don't have any land in the family yeah. you, you know this whole greenhorn type movement yeah um they're great the greenhorns wow. yeah incredible group <laughs> but how or what, what challenges do, do young farmers face and how can they navigate the challenges of getting access to good fertile land that's situated in areas that will be like generative or conducive to establishing what, what you call partnerships between yeah. producers and eaters? Yeah, well, I, you know, there's a lot of challenges for sure. And the one, the one we've had to face with when we started was, we first of all, we didn't have a lot of money because we were in our early 20s and we just we didn't have a lot of money. And we didn't have money to to buy heavy equipment or to buy land or just to rent expensive big piece of land. So we had to kind of look through that, how we can go about starting a farm without having these problems. And so this whole this idea of farming without a tractor, farming with hand tools, is a, is a response to that problem that we face. Like when we started the farm, all the equipment that we needed to buy to get started costed us around 40, 40 grand, $40,000, which might seem like a lot of money, but, you know, if you get a, you know, five-year loan at 8%, that's about six grand a year, so it's not that much. And the other thing is about, rather than having big blocks of production, which are hard to find or impossible to buy, 
we've started to with this idea of growing better instead of growing bigger and to concentrate, intensify, optimize everything that we've been doing on the farm. And so I think this is one solution to the challenge of what young farmers are, are facing with, which is the fact that not a lot of people have a lot of land access and they don't have a lot of capital. And um, that's, you know, that's why I think that our story is, is kind of one answer to the, these problems and it's showing a different way of producing, which I think was the core problem, is that there wasn't enough example of people farming small, but doing so profitably and productively. And so that's really was what I think was the missing link, the, the missing link. But now that's covered. You know, people can read my book, The Market Gardener. They can they can come and visit the farms that are alike to the ones that we have, and they can see that on small acreage, on two acre, you can have not only a, a productive farm, but a, a financially very interesting micro farm. And, you know, we, we're four of us working full time on that little piece of land. And so it's it's really amazing when you think about it. Yeah, certainly blazing a trail and showing that well, it can I, be Well, you know, done. we're not inventing anything new, but I guess we're just showing that it's possible to start small. And at one point, you know, after a couple of years doing it, then you can you can decide to upscale your farm, to specialize, to to buy more equipment. But at least you've started, and you've built your clientele, and you've built your skill set. Because farming is is not easy. There's a lot of things going on. You're growing forty different crops. You're intercropping. You're weeding. You're seeding. You're doing all these things at once. And I've always thought that you know, by starting small, you can get to manage these things and grow as you get better, which I think is the better way to do it. So to narrow in on just like the very small, I'd, I'd like to hear, do you have a favorite farm tool, favorite farm chore, and then a favorite vegetable? <laughs> that's one, a, one, two, three. That's the hardest question I've been, I've, I've been ever asked. My favorite tool, it's, it's like asking me which part of your car you like best thinking it makes it run smooth. It's like on our farm, it's a system. So all these tools, they're plugged into another. But okay, so the broad fork, perhaps, the name of my farm in French, like Relinette. And the broad fork is a big spade that uh, you just plant into the soil and you, by the action of the lever, leverage, you just, you just open up the soil without turning it. So you're not you know, uprooting your soil, you're not changing the ecology, but you're letting more air into it and you're just creating looser soil, which is what roots really want if you're going to go down and penetrate in the soil. Favorite vegetables? How about mesclun, which is French for salad mix? I've been growing mesclun on my knees for a long, long time. And feel very close to it. <laughs> And your third question was? Favorite farm chore, whether it's ah, like going in with the broad sure. fork, turning, cut, weeding. Yeah, actually, I, I shouldn't say weeding because we're not really weeding. We're cultivating the soil using hoes. And I like to do it bare feet, bare feet just so I'm close to the soil. And just by by doing it manually, I get to hang out with the plants at every stage of their growth. And it just I think it... it keeps my botanical sensibility really in tune by doing that. So cultivating the soil would be my answer. I really like what, what you just said about hanging out with plants. Uh, could you talk a little bit about how your relationship with nature has, has changed 
from going to the from the university classroom to you know standing barefoot cultivating in the field where are you at now in regards to having like a right or a proper relationship with nature yeah again that's a great question i think that if i you know when we were at university a lot of this was in our head we were looking at you know the environment through books and we were looking at you know the economic system and understanding why it's so horrible and stuff like that. But it when we got into farming, it was like applied ecology. It was for real. We were outside. We were doing it. And that was the best kick I got all of... Uh, that's why I started farming, because I, I thought it was... I was actually contributing into something that was real. And um, so I guess it was it was still intellectual in a way... But ever since, you know, we've been we've been on on the earth and we've been growing crops and we've been kind of going by feeling about how to best do certain things. And I've always thought, again, that being close to the earth physically, you know, really like I'm putting seeds in the ground, I'm harvesting, I'm 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 cultivating, I'm doing whatever. And I'm never on sitting on a tractor really high and going really fast. I'm at a slower pace. It just it gets me to be more aware of what's happening, and um, may it be intuition I don't know, but I think a lot of the practices that we've developed or that we've evolved through time has been linked to that closeness that we have to to the soil and to the plant. So yeah, I, I think that we're doing applied ecology, and that's the best part about farming. This is really you can make you can make some some links in your head by reading books now you know i read a lot of biology you know books about biology and, and ecology but now i can make some experiments on my own on the farm and really see what works and what not and and that's i feel very privileged about that and uh, yeah farming is such a great way to go about spending your life on earth because we're outside and and we're feasting like kings which is the other good part about it Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So one thing that I worry about, you know, with with young farmers, you know, kind of being caught up in in this almost like romanticized notion of what like agricultural life is or agrarian life is, is that they may experience burnout at some point or another or there, there comes a point, you know, when they're establishing their farm that well, this is this is a lot tougher than I originally thought. Either like I'm not getting the yields I want, I'm not getting the community buy-in I want. Um, did did you ever experience in those first couple of years of starting your farm moments of thinking, well, maybe what maybe am I I'm doing? Too much. Yeah, what am I doing? <laughs> uh, and then how did you overcome that? And how would you advise young farmers to to fight through that or to push through that that moment yeah. of hesitation? You know, before I took it upon myself to write a book about what I thought were great farming practices for beginning farmers, I mentored a lot of young farmers that were starting farms. And um, so what you're describing, I've, I've seen a lot. And my perspective on that was really the way that people were going about how they were farming. And usually it always involved having a big tractor that somebody gave them and and just setting up their whole system around a piece of equipment that they didn't really know how it 
influence all the rest. And um, so I guess to answer your question, I think there's, you know, farming is like, you know, or, or market gardening or market farming, is, it's, like, it's like being a baker. You know, there's a recipe, there's a way to make bread. You can't just improvise this all the time, especially if you want to be productive at it. So there's technical skills that you need to have. And I think that these skills, you need not only to learn them through either books or classes or teaching, but you need to be also doing it on a farm for at least one full year to see if you're cut for that kind of job. Because farming is hard work. You know, we're outside, it's raining, it's freezing, it's too hot, too cold, it's always changing. And, you know, if, you, if you're on a farm for one full year and you like it, well, chances are that you'll like it the year after. And, and that's why I think that at one point it's good that you start your own farm. Your, your own micro farm, like feeding 200, you know, 20 families through a, a beginning CSA is not such a big thing. But you need to be prepared and you need to be trained. And um, so that's the best way to avoid having a burnout, I think, is to understand that the way you do things, especially the initial setup, you know, is there a design about how you're placing the elements of your market gardening or your farm? That's really important. What are your equipments? You know, are they all well attuned to one another? You know, are you using a tractor for certain things and not, you know, cultivating with the tractor? You know, you, you need to understand all the moving parts of the system before you actually start yours. And, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's perhaps the, the piece that, was, that is missing in a lot of people that are starting. They, they're going on a hunch about how to go about things. But things need to be streamlined. And efficiency in everything that you do on the farm all the time is how you get to get a quality of life at the end of the day. Because if you're taking 20 minutes to do something that somebody else has taken an hour and you're repeating that kind of efficiency in different jobs that you're doing, well, you can do the same thing but a lot faster, quicker. That's how you get to stop at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock and, and do something else with the rest of your day, not burned out, not burn out. Efficiency, and it has an amplifying effect. Yeah, efficiency is core. In, in, in market farming, it's like that's what everybody needs to be focusing on, efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. And sometimes it's not about the tool, you know, it's not about the tools that you have, it's about it's the skill set how to how to do the same thing but faster better more productively so in the world of i guess the last 30 or so years of agricultural literature the the way i conceptualize it on on one side you have the poets the philosophers like Wendell Berry or Fukuoka uh, and then on the other hand you have books like yours or Elliot Coleman's that are the mm -hmm. gritty the nitty-gritty how-to this is what you need to do if you want to actualize or realize this lifestyle were there any books or thinkers or mentors in the former category that served as like especially inspiring to you you're talking about books on, on philosophy on, on philosophy or poetry or nature <clears throat> Well, yes, but they're all French books, so I don't know if people really know about them because my, you know, I've read a lot of more American books like Wendell Berry, I, I like Michael Pollan, you know, very informative stuff, but 
The books I really like are the, are the ones that have been written in the 1900s in France where food was, you know, they had a food culture that was so amazing. They would, they would have, you know, 20 different salads in one specific market. And uh, so I like to read about that. I like to read about this whole idea of eating well which is really a core of what we're doing. And so just like that, uh, I there's no names that come to my mind, but um, perhaps at the end of the show, I'll, I'll think about a, a name or two of, of books that I could recommend. Mm. Yeah, but definitely I think that reading about that, not just the agrarian lifestyle, you know, I think farming and reading about farming and why it's important, why we farm I like, but most importantly, I, I guess it's about why we want to eat great food, which is, I think, at core here when we talk about the, the farm-to-table movement. So the other half of the farm-to-table movement, of course, is, is chefs. And what I've seen in the last you know 20 or 30 years is chefs really pushing kind of the frontier of making their craft that's traditionally blue-collar look exciting, sexy, cool, dynamic. I mean, you have Food Network, you have competition TV shows. Um, do you think a similar process needs to happen to make farming look, you know, like sexy or cool or dynamic? Um, and, and if so, what what would that look like? I, I like your question. Yeah, I think so. I think if we were going to get more young people into farming, it needs to be seen and understood as a cool thing to do. And I think it is. I just did uh, last spring uh, a tour, like I was giving a workshop tour in British Columbia up in, in Canada, Western Canada, and they they called it the Rockstar Farmer Tour. And so I would go, and it wasn't me, it was them. They branded it like that. So I would go around these towns and these communities giving my workshop, and I would go to the restaurant after the, at the end of the day, and people would recognize me and say, hey, you're the Rockstar Farmer. And it's like, and I've thought, that's pretty cool, because, you know, farmers are Rockstar, I think even more than chefs, because we're the, we're the provider. We're providing the ingredients to make these recipes happen, and um, so it's it's changing. And I think there, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of light that is put on our craftsmanships now more and more, and I think that's important because what you know what this movement needs is is for more of its supporters to put on their rubber boots and and take up growing food. And that's only going to happen if, if people are sensitive enough to think, you know what, if I really want to make a difference, I can talk about eating organic, I can I can help out, but if you're starting a farm, you're really doing it. You're really changing the food system. And so, yeah, I think that's an important part of it all. And to finish up, one one last question. Do you have any words of caution or inspiration for potential young farmers who may be listening to this podcast? Wow. You know, I encourage you to look into what farming is because I think that if half of our days spend on earth, we're going to do working. You need to find meaningful work. And I've had this really... Uh, amazing experience farming the last decade and it's it, it's it's meaningful work and I get all these members 
of my CSA that are thanking me for what I do. Some have even told me that they're, you know, we're included in their prayers before the meals. And I think that's that makes me really proud of of the work I do. This being said, you know, like farming is hard work. And if you're going to do it, you need to be prepared and you need to be trained and you need to again know if you're cut out for this kind of of job. So you know, I think that spending times on farm is important. And, you know, reading a book like The Market Gardener, if I had a book like that when I started farming, I would have saved at least five years of figuring this out. So this kind of, of information, I think, is important. And hopefully more and more, you know, veteran growers will start to produce this kind of information for younger farmers. And uh, so these would be my, my word of advice, you know, Start on somebody else's farm, and then after a year or two, start your own small farm. And and I think uh, you'll find that there's a lot of good to be done in that way. All right. And on that note, I'd like to thank you so much for this interview. My pleasure. All right. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website at www.yale.edu slash sustainable food.